Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Med- Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A huge shout-out to GW Farmer, a listener on Audible. Thank you so much for your positive feedback. I appreciate you. And I don't want to leave out the new supporters of the podcast, Orit, Jane, Lance, Sav, Ali, and Carmen. Thank you for your support. Tonight, I will be reading three more beautiful stories from Shakespeare, retold by Edith Nesbitt. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. A Midsummer Night's Dream Hermia and Lysander were lovers, but Hermia's father wished her to marry another man named Demetrius. 
Now in Athens, where they lived, there was a wicked law, by which any girl who refused to marry according to her father's wishes might be put to death. Hermia's father was so angry with her for refusing to do as he wished that he actually brought her before the Duke of Athens to ask that she might be killed as she still refused to obey him. The Duke gave her four days to think about it, and at the end of that time, if she still refused to marry Demetrius, she would have to die. Lysander, of course, was nearly mad with grief, and the best thing to do seemed to him for Hermia to run away to his aunt's house at a place beyond the reach of that cruel law, and there he would come to her and marry her. But before she started, she told her friend Helena what she was going to do. Helena had been Demetrius's sweetheart long before his marriage with Hermia had been thought of, and being very silly, like all jealous people, she could not see that it was not poor Hermia's fault that Demetrius wished to marry her instead of his own lady, Helena. She knew that if she told Demetrius that Hermia was going, as she was, to the wood outside Athens, he would follow her, and I can follow him, and at least I shall see him, she said to herself. So she went to him and betrayed her friend's secret. Now this wood where Lysander was to meet Hermia, and where the other two had decided to follow them, was full of fairies, as most woods are if one only had the eyes to see them. And in this wood on this night were the king and queen of the fairies, Oberon and Titania. Now fairies are very wise people, but now and then they can be quite as foolish as mortal folk. Oberon and Titania, who might have been as happy as the days were long, had thrown away all their joy in a foolish quarrel. They never met without saying disagreeable things to each other and scolded each other so dreadfully that all their little fairy followers, for fear, would creep into acorn cups and hide them there. So instead of keeping one happy court and dancing all night through in the moonlight, as is fairies' use, the king with his attendants wandered through one part of the wood, while the queen with hers kept state in another. And the cause of all this trouble was a little boy whom Titania had taken to be one of her followers. Oberon wanted the child to follow him and be one of his fairy knights, but the queen would not give him up. On this night, in a mossy, moonlit glade, the king and queen of the fairies met. Ill met by moonlight, proud Titania, said the king. What, jealous Oberon? answered the queen. You spoil everything with your quarrelling. Come, fairies, let us leave him. I am not friends with him now. It rests with you to make up the quarrel, said the king. Give me that little boy, and I will again be your humble servant and suitor. Set your mind at rest, said the queen. Your whole fairy kingdom buys not that boy from me. Come, fairies. And she and her train rode off down the moonbeams. Well, go your ways, said Oberon and I'll be even with you before you leave this wood. Then Oberon called his favorite fairy Puck. Puck was the spirit of mischief. He used to slip into the dairies and take the cream away, and get into the churn so that the butter would not come, and turn the beer sour, and lead people out of their way on dark nights and then laugh at them, and tumble people's stools from under them when they were going to sit down, and upset their hot ale over their chins when they were going to drink. 
Now, said Oberon to this little sprite, fetch me the flower called Love in Idleness. The juice of that little purple flower laid on the eyes of those who sleep will make them, when they wake, to love the first thing they see. I will put some of the juice of that flower on my Titania's eyes, and when she wakes, she will love the first thing she sees, were it lion, bear, or wolf, or bull, or meddling monkey, or busy ape. While Puck was gone, Demetrius passed through the glade, followed by poor Helena, and still she told him how she loved him, and reminded him of all his promises, and still he told her that he did not and could not love her, and that his promises were nothing. Oberon was sorry for poor Helena, and when Puck returned with the flower, he bade him follow Demetrius and put some of the juice on his eyes, so that he might love Helena when he woke and looked on her, as much as she loved him. So Puck set off, and wandering through the wood found not Demetrius, but Lysander, on whose eyes he put the juice. But when Lysander woke, he saw not his own Hermia, but Helena, who was walking through the wood looking for the cruel Demetrius. And directly he saw her, he loved her, and left his own lady under the spell of the purple flower. When Hermia woke, she found Lysander gone, and wandered about the wood trying to find him. Puck went back and told Oberon what he had done, and Oberon soon found that he had made a mistake, and set about looking for Demetrius, and having found him, put some of the juice on his eyes, and the first thing Demetrius saw when he woke was also Helena. So now Demetrius and Lysander were both following her through the wood, and it was Hermia's turn to follow her lover as Helena had done before. The end of it was that Helena and Hermia began to quarrel, and Demetrius and Lysander went off to fight. Oberon was very sorry to see his kind scheme to help these lovers turn out so badly. So he said to Puck, These two young men are going to fight. You must overhang the night with a drooping fog and lead them so astray that one will never find the other. When they are tired out, they will fall asleep. Then drop this other herb on Lysander's eyes. That will give him his old sight and his old love. Then each man will have the lady who loves him, and they will all think that this has been only a Midsummer Night's Dream. Then when this is done, all will be well with them. So Puck went and did as he was told. And when the two had fallen asleep without meeting each other, Puck poured the juice on Lysander's eyes and said, When thou wakest, thou takest true delight in the sight of thy former lady's eye. Jack shall have Jill, naught shall go ill. Meanwhile, Oberon found Titania asleep on a bank where grew wild thyme, oxlips and violets and woodbine, muskroses and eglantine. There Titania always slept a part of the night, wrapped in the enameled skin of a snake. Oberon stooped over her and laid the juice on her eyes, saying, What thou seest when thou wake, do it for thy true love take. Now it happened that when Titania woke, the first thing she saw was a stupid clown, one of a party of players who had come out into the wood to rehearse their play. This clown had met with Puck, who had clapped a donkey's head on his shoulders so that it looked as if it grew there. Directly, Titania woke and saw this dreadful monster. She said, What angel is this? Are you as wise as you are beautiful? 
If I'm wise enough to find my way out of this wood, that's enough for me, said the foolish clown. Do not desire to go out of the wood, said Titania. The spell of love juice was on her, and to her the clown seemed the most beautiful and delightful creature on all the earth. I love you, she went on. Come with me, and I will give you fairies to attend on you. So she called four fairies whose names were Peace Blossom, Cobweb, Moth, and Mustard Seed. You must attend this gentleman, said the queen. Feed him with apricots and dewberries, purple grapes, green figs, and mulberries. Steal honey bags for him from the bumblebees. And with the wings of painted butterflies, fan the moonbeams from his sleeping eyes. I will, said one of the fairies, and all the others said, I will. Now sit down with me, said the queen to the clown, and let me stroke your dear cheeks and stick musk roses in your smooth, sleek head and kiss your fair, large ears, my gentle joy. Where's Peace Blossom? asked the clown, the donkey's head. He did not care much about the queen's affection, but he was very proud of having fairies to wait on him. Ready, said Peace Blossom. Scratch my head, Peace Blossom, said the clown. Where's Cobweb? Ready, said Cobweb. Kill me, said the clown, the red bumblebee on the top of the thistle yonder, and bring me the honey bag. Where's Mustard Seed? Ready, said Mustard Seed. Oh, I want nothing, said the clown. Only just help Cobweb to scratch. I must go to the barber's, for methinks I'm marvellous hairy about the face. Would you like anything to eat? said the fairy queen. I should like some good dry oats, said the clown, for his donkey's head made him desire donkey's food, and some hay to follow. Shall some of my fairies fetch you new nuts from the squirrel's house? asked the queen. I'd rather have a handful or two of good dried peas, said the clown. But please, don't let any of your people disturb me. I'm going to sleep. And then the queen said, I will wind thee in my arms. And so, when Oberon came along, he found his beautiful queen lavishing kisses and endearments on a clown with a donkey's head. And before he released her from the enchantment, he persuaded her to give him the little boy he so much desired to have. Then he took pity on her, and threw some juice of the disenchanting flower on her pretty eyes. And then in a moment, she saw plainly the donkey-headed clown she had been loving, and knew how foolish she had been. Oberon took off the donkey's head from the clown and left him to finish his sleep with his own silly head lying on the thyme and violets. Thus all was made plain and straight again. Oberon and Titania loved each other more than ever. Demetrius thought of no one but Helena, and Helena had never had any thought of anyone but Demetrius. As for Hermia and Lysander, they were as loving a couple as you could meet in a day's march, even through a fairy wood. So the four mortal lovers went back to Athens and were married, and the fairy king and queen live happily together in that very wood at this very day. As you like it. There was once a wicked duke named Frederick, who took the dukedom that should have belonged to his brother, sending him into exile. His brother went into the forest of Arden, where he lived the life of a bold forester as Robin Hood did in Sherwood Forest in Merry England. The banished duke's daughter, Rosalind, remained with Celia, Frederick's daughter, and the two loved each other more than most sisters. 
One day, there was a wrestling match at court, and Rosalind and Celia went to see it. Charles, a celebrated wrestler, was there, who had killed many men in contests of this kind. Orlando, the young man he was to wrestle with, was so slender and youthful that Rosalind and Celia thought he would surely be killed, as others had been, so they spoke to him and asked him not to attempt so dangerous an adventure. But the only effect of their words was to make him wish more to come off well in the encounter so as to win praise from such sweet ladies. Orlando, like Rosalind's father, was being kept out of his inheritance by his brother and was so sad at his brother's unkindness that, until he saw Rosalind, he did not care much whether he lived or died. But now the sight of the fair Rosalind gave him strength and courage, so that he did marvellously and at last threw Charles to such a tune that the wrestler had to be carried off the ground. Duke Frederick was pleased with his courage and asked his name. My name is Orlando, and I am the youngest son of Sir Roland de Bois, said the young man. Now Sir Roland de Bois, when he was alive, had been a good friend to the banished duke, so that Frederick heard with regret whose son Orlando was and would not befriend him. But Rosalind was delighted to hear that this handsome young stranger was the son of her father's old friend, and as they were going away, she turned back more than once to say another kind word to the brave young man. Gentlemen, she said, giving him a chain from her neck, wear this for me. I could give more, but my hand lacks means. Rosalind and Celia, when they were alone, began to talk about the handsome wrestler, and Rosalind confessed that she loved him at first sight. Come, come, said Celia, wrestle with thy affections. Oh, answered Rosalind, they take the part of a better wrestler than myself. Look, here comes the duke. With his eyes full of anger, said Celia. You must leave the court at once, he said to Rosalind. Why, she asked. Never mind why, answered the duke, you're banished. If within ten days you're found within twenty miles of my court, you die. So Rosalind set out to seek her father the banished duke in the forest of Arden. Celia loved her too much to let her go alone, and as it was a rather dangerous journey, Rosalind being the taller, dressed up as a young countryman, and her cousin as a country girl, and Rosalind said that she would be called Ganymede, and Celia, Aliena. They were very tired when at last they came to the forest of Arden, and as they were sitting on the grass, a countryman passed that way, and Ganymede asked him if he could get them food. He did so, and told them that a shepherd's flocks and house were to be sold. They bought these and settled down as shepherd and shepherdess in the forest. In the meantime, Oliver, having sought to take his brother's Orlando's life, Orlando also wandered into the forest, and there met with the rightful duke, and, being kindly received, stayed with him. Now Orlando could think of nothing but Rosalind, and he went about the forest carving her name on trees and writing love sonnets and hanging them on the bushes, and there Rosalind and Celia found them. One day Orlando met them, but he did not know Rosalind in her boy's clothes, though he liked the pretty shepherd youth, because he fancied a likeness in him to her he loved. There is a foolish lover, said Rosalind, who haunts these woods and hangs sonnets on the trees. If I could find him, I would soon cure him of his folly. Orlando confessed, that he was the foolish lover, and Rosalind said, If you will come and see me every day, I will pretend to be Rosalind, and I will take her part, 
and be wayward and contrary, as is the way of women, till I make you ashamed of your folly in loving her. And so every day he went to her house, and took a pleasure in saying to her all the pretty things he would have said to Rosalind. And she had the fine and secret joy of knowing that all his love words came to the right ears. Thus many days passed pleasantly away. One morning, as Orlando was going to visit Ganymede, he saw a man asleep on the ground, and that there was a lioness crouching there, waiting for the man who was asleep to wake, for they say that lions will not prey on anything that is dead or sleeping. Then Orlando looked at the man and saw that it was his wicked brother Oliver, who tried to take his life. He fought with the lioness and killed her, and saved his brother's life. While Orlando was fighting the lioness, Oliver awoke to see his brother, whom he had treated so badly, saving him from a wicked beast at the risk of his own life. This made him repent of his wickedness, and he begged Orlando's pardon, and from thenceforth they were dear brothers. The lioness had wounded Orlando's arm so much that he could not go on to see the shepherd, so he sent his brother to ask Ganymede to come to him. Oliver went and told the whole story to Ganymede and Aelina, and Aelina was so charmed with his manly way of confessing his faults that she fell in love with him at once. But when Ganymede heard of the danger Orlando had been in, she fainted, and when she came to herself, said truly enough, I should have been a woman by right. Oliver went back to his brother and told him all this, saying, I love Aelina so well that I will give up my estates to you and marry her, and live here as a shepherd. Let your wedding be tomorrow, said Orlando, and I will ask the duke and his friends. When Orlando told Ganymede how his brother was to be married on the morrow, he added, Oh, how a bitter thing it is to look into happiness through another man's eyes. Then answered Rosalind, still in Ganymede's dress and speaking with his voice, If you do love Rosalind so near the heart, then when your brother marries Ileana, shall you marry her? Now the next day, the Duke and his followers, and Orlando, and Oliver, and Aelina, were all gathered together for the wedding. Then Ganymede came in and said to the Duke, If I bring in your daughter Rosalind, will you give her to Orlando here? That I would, said the Duke, if I had all kingdoms to give with her. And you say you will have her when I bring her? She said to Orlando. That I would, he answered, were I king of all kingdoms. Then Rosalind and Celia went out, and Rosalind put on her pretty woman's clothes again, and after a while came back. She turned to her father. I give myself to you, for I am yours. If there be truth in sight, he said, you are my daughter. Then she said to Orlando, I give myself to you, for I am yours. If there be truth in sight, he said, you are my Rosalind. I will have no father if you be not he, she said to the duke, and to Orlando, I will have no husband if you be not he. So Orlando and Rosalind were married, and Oliver and Celia, and they lived happy ever after, returning with the duke to the kingdom. For Frederick had been shown by a holy hermit the wickedness of his ways, and so gave back the dukedom of his brother, and himself went into a monastery to pray for forgiveness. The wedding was a merry one in the mossy glades of the forest. A shepherd and shepherdess, who had been friends with Rosalind when she was disguised as a shepherd, were married on the same day and all with such pretty feastings and merrymakings as could be nowhere within four walls, but only in the beautiful green wood. Two Gentlemen of Verona Only one of them was really a gentleman, as you will discover later. 
Their names were Valentine and Proteus. They were friends and lived at Verona, a town in northern Italy. Valentine was happy in his name because it was that of the patron saint of lovers. It is hard for a Valentine to be fickle or mean. Proteus was unhappy in his name because it was that of a famous shape-changer, and therefore it encouraged him to be a lover at one time and a traitor at another. One day, Valentine told his friend that he was going to Milan. I'm not in love like you, said he, and therefore I don't want to stay at home. Proteus was in love with a beautiful yellow-haired girl called Julia, who was rich and had no one to order her about. He was, however, sorry to part from Valentine, and he said, If ever you are in danger, tell me, and I will pray for you. Valentine then went to Milan with a servant called Speed, and at Milan, he fell in love with the Duke of Milan's daughter, Sylvia. When Proteus and Valentine parted, Julia had not acknowledged that she loved Proteus. Indeed, she had actually torn up one of his letters in the presence of her maid, Lucetta. Lucetta, however, was no simpleton, for when she saw the pieces, she said to herself, all she wants is to be annoyed by another letter. Indeed, no sooner had Lucetta left her alone than Julia repented of her tearing, and placed between her dress and her heart the torn piece of paper on which Proteus had signed his name. So by tearing a letter written by Proteus, she discovered that she loved him. Then, like a brave, sweet girl, she wrote to Proteus, Be patient, and you shall marry me. Delighted with these words, Proteus walked about, flourishing Julia's letter and talking to himself. What have you got there? asked his father, Antonio. A letter from Valentine, fibbed Proteus. Let me read it, said Antonio. There is no news, said deceitful Proteus. He only says that he is very happy, and the Duke of Milan is kind to him, and that he wishes I were with him. This fib had the effect of making Antonio think that his son should go to Milan and enjoy the favours in which Valentine basked. You must go tomorrow, he decreed. Proteus was dismayed. Give me time to get my outfit ready. He was met with a promise. What you need shall be sent after you. It grieved Julia to part from her lover before their engagement was two days old. She gave him a ring and said, Keep this for my sake. And he gave her a ring, and they kissed like two who intend to be true till death. Then Proteus departed for Milan. Meanwhile, Valentine was amusing Sylvia, whose grey eyes, laughing at him under auburn hair, had drowned him in love. One day she told him that she wanted to write a pretty letter to a gentleman, whom she thought well of, but had no time. Would he write it? Very much did Valentine dislike writing that letter, but he did write it, and gave it to her coldly. Take it back, she said. You did it unwillingly. Madam, he said, it was difficult to write such a letter for you. Take it back, she commanded. You did not write it tenderly enough. Valentine was left with the letter and condemned to write another. But his servant, Speed, saw that, in effect, the Lady Sylvia had allowed Valentine to write for her a love letter to Valentine's own self. The joke, he said, is as invisible as a weathercock on a steeple. He meant that it was very plain, and he went on to say exactly what it was. If Master will write her love letters, he must answer them. On the arrival of Proteus, he was introduced by Valentine to Sylvia, and afterwards, when they were alone, Valentine asked Proteus how his love for Julia was prospering. Why, said Proteus, you used to get wearied when I spoke of her. 
I, confessed Valentine, but it's different now. I can eat and drink all day with nothing but love on my plate and love in my cup. You idolize Sylvia, said Proteus. She is divine, said Valentine. Come, come, remonstrated Proteus. Well, if she's not divine, said Valentine, she's the queen of all women on earth. Except Julia, said Proteus. Dear boy, said Valentine, Julia is not accepted, but I will grant that she alone is worthy to bear my lady's train. Your bragging astounds me, said Proteus. But he had seen Sylvia, and he felt suddenly that the yellow-haired Julia was pale in comparison. He became in thought a villain without delay, and said to himself what he had never said before, I to myself am dearer than my friend. It would have been convenient for Valentine if Proteus had changed, by the power of the god whose name he bore, the shape of his body the evil moment when he despised Julia in admiring Sylvia. But his body did not change. His smile was still affectionate, and Valentine confided to him the great secret that Sylvia had now promised to run away with him. In the pocket of this cloak, said Valentine, I have a silken rope ladder with hooks which will clasp the window bar of her room. Proteus knew the reason why Sylvia and her lover were bent on flight. The Duke intended her to wed Sir Thurio, a gentlemanly noodle for whom she did not care a straw. Proteus thought that if he could get rid of Valentine, he might make Sylvia fond of him, especially if the Duke insisted on her enduring Sir Thurio's tiresome chatter. He therefore went to the Duke and said, Duty before friendship. It grieves me to thwart my friend Valentine, but your grace should know that he intends tonight to elope with your grace's daughter. He begged the Duke not to tell Valentine the giver of this information, and the Duke assured him that his name would not be divulged. Early that evening, the Duke summoned Valentine, who came to him wearing a large cloak with a bulging pocket. You know, said the Duke, my desire to marry my daughter to Sir Thurio. I do, replied Valentine. He is virtuous and generous, as befits a man so honoured in your grace's thoughts. Nevertheless, she dislikes him, said the Duke. She is a peevish, proud, disobedient girl, and I should be sorry to leave her a penny. I intend, therefore, to marry again. Valentine bowed. I hardly know how the young people of today make love, continued the Duke, and I thought that you would be just the man to teach me how to win the lady of my choice. Jewels have been known to plead rather well, said Valentine. I have tried them, said the Duke. The habit of liking the giver may grow if your grace gives her some more. The chief difficulty, pursued the Duke, is this. The lady is promised to a young gentleman, and it is hard to have a word with her. She is, in fact, locked up. Then your grace should propose an elopement, said Valentine. Try a rope ladder. But how should I carry it? asked the Duke. A rope ladder is light, said Valentine. You can carry it in a cloak. Like yours? Yes, your grace. Then yours will do. Kindly lend it to me. Valentine had talked himself into a trap. He could not refuse to lend his cloak, and when the Duke had donned it, his grace drew from the pocket a sealed missive addressed to Sylvia. He coolly opened it and read these words. Sylvia, you shall be free tonight. Indeed, he said, and here's the rope ladder. Prettily contrived, but not perfectly. I give you, sir, a day to leave my dominions. If you are in Milan by this time tomorrow, you die. 
Poor Valentine was saddened to the core. Unless I look on Sylvia in the day, he said, there is no day for me to look upon. Before he went, he took farewell of Proteus, who proved a hypocrite of the first order. Hope is a lover's staff, said Valentine's betrayer. Walk hence with that. After leaving Milan, Valentine and his servant wandered into a forest near Mantua, where the great poet Virgil lived. In the forest, however, the poets, if any, were brigands, who bade the travellers stand. They obeyed, and Valentine made so good an impression upon his captors that they offered him his life on condition that he became their captain. I accept, said Valentine, provided you release my servant and are not violent to women or the poor. The reply was worthy of Virgil, and Valentine became a brigand chief. We return now to Julia, who found Verona too dull to live in since Proteus had gone. She begged her maid Lucetta to devise a way by which she could see him. Better wait for him to return, said Lucetta, and she talked so sensibly that Julia saw it was idle to hope that Lucetta would bear the blame of any rash and interesting adventure. Julia therefore said that she intended to go to Milan and dressed like a page. You must cut off your hair then, said Lucetta, who thought that at this announcement Julia would immediately abandon her scheme. I shall knot it up, was the disappointing rejoinder. Lucetta then tried to make the scheme seem foolish to Julia, but Julia had made up her mind and was not to be put off by ridicule, and when her toilet was completed, she looked as comely a page as one could wish to see. Julia assumed the male name Sebastian and arrived in Milan in time to hear music being performed outside the Duke's palace. They are serenading the Lady Sylvia, said a man to her. Suddenly, she heard a voice lifted in song, and she knew that voice. It was the voice of Proteus. But what was he singing? Who is Sylvia? What is she, that all our swains commend her? Holy, fair, and wise is she, the heaven such grace did lend her, that she might admired be. Julia tried not to hear the rest, but these two lines somehow thundered into her mind. Then to Sylvia let us sing, she excels each mortal thing. Then Proteus thought Sylvia excelled Julia. And since he sang so beautifully for all the world to hear, it seemed that he was not only false to Julia, but had forgotten her. Yet Julia still loved him. She even went to him and asked him to be his page, and Proteus engaged her. One day he handed to her the ring which she had given him, and said, Sebastian, take that to the lady Sylvia, and say that I should like the picture of her she promised me. Sylvia had promised the picture, but she disliked Proteus. She was obliged to talk to him because he was high in the favour of her father, who thought he pleaded with her on behalf of Sir Thurio. Sylvia had learned from Valentine that Proteus was pledged to his sweetheart in Verona, and when he had said tender things to her, she felt that he was disloyal in friendship as well as love. Julia bore the ring to Sylvia, and Sylvia said, I will not wrong the woman who gave it to him by wearing it. She thanks you, said Julia. You know her then, said Sylvia. And Julia spoke so tenderly of herself that Sylvia wished that Sebastian would marry Julia. Sylvia gave Julia her portrait for Proteus, who would have received it the worse for extra touches on the nose and eyes if Julia had not made up her mind that she was as pretty as Sylvia. Soon there was an uproar in the palace. Sylvia had fled. The Duke was certain that her intention was to join the exiled Valentine, and he was not wrong. 
Without delay, he started in pursuit with Sir Thurio, Proteus, and some servants. The members of the pursuing party got separated, and Proteus and Julia, in her page's dress, were by themselves when they saw Sylvia, who had been taken prisoner by outlaws and was now being led to their captain. Proteus rescued her and then said, I've saved you from death. Give me one kind look. Oh, misery to be helped by you, cried Sylvia. I would rather be a lion's breakfast. Julia was silent, but cheerful. Proteus was so much annoyed with Sylvia that he threatened her and seized her by the waist. Oh, heaven, cried Sylvia. At that instant, there was a noise of crackling branches. Valentine came crashing through the Mantuan forest to the rescue of his beloved. Julia feared he would slay Proteus and hurried to help her false lover. But he struck no blow. He only said, Proteus, I am sorry I must never trust you more. Thereat Proteus felt his guilt and fell on his knees, saying, Forgive me, I grieve, I suffer. Then you are my friend once more, said the generous Valentine. If Sylvia that is lost to me will look on you with favour, I promise that I will stand aside and bless you both. These words were terrible to Julia, and she swooned. Valentine revived her and said, What was the matter, boy? I remembered, fibbed Julia, that I was charged to give a ring to the lady Sylvia, and that I did not. Well, give it to me, said Proteus. She handed him a ring, but it was a ring that Proteus gave to Julia before he left Verona. Proteus looked at her hand and crimsoned to the roots of his hair. I changed my shape when you changed your mind, said she. But I love you again, said he. Just then, outlaws entered, bringing two prizes, the Duke and Sir Thurio. Forbear, cried Valentine sternly, the Duke is sacred. Sir Thurio exclaimed, There's Sylvia, she's mine. Touch her and you die, said Valentine. I should be a fool to risk anything for her, said Sir Thurio. Then you are base, said the Duke. Valentine, you are a brave man. Your banishment is over, I recall you. You may marry Sylvia. You deserve her. I thank you, Your Grace, said Valentine, deeply moved, and yet must ask you one more boon. I grant it, said the Duke. Pardon these men, Your Grace, and give them employment. They are better than their calling. I pardon them and you, said the Duke. Their work henceforth shall be for wages. What think you of this page, Your Grace? asked Valentine, indicating Julia. The Duke glanced at her and said, I think the boy has grace in him. More grace than boy, say I, laughed Valentine. And the only punishment which Proteus had to bear for his treacheries against love and friendship was the recital in his presence of the adventures of Julia Sebastian of Verona. Good night. <laughs>